Hello, Dr. Sam. Hello, Sam. Merry Christmas and uh, almost a happy new year. I know. Happy holidays to all of our listeners who are joining us. Um, we're, we've are we been watching the TV show, and this is coming out at the end of the year of 2023. Um, you know, um, the holiday spirit is in the air. People are giving gifts. Um, um, I, I celebrate Christmas, and I got um, a lovely gift. Um, I received many good gifts from family of all sides, but Sam, I received the most special gift of all, which is Emily Wilson's new translation of the Iliad. Um, Sam, do you want to guess how many pages this translation uh, clocks in at? Four hundred and twenty-four. Well, if you double it, you'll be a lot. Um, it's nearly eight hundred pages long. Uh, really? dear listener, it is a it is a mammoth book. Uh, you could commit murder with this book. Uh, and it is it is very very cool. Listen, I'm a I'm a huge classics nerd, and I've been looking forward to this. And I have a beautiful uh, hardcover sitting on uh, my dresser right now. And let me tell you, uh, it is thorough. There's a massive introduction. There's a translator's note. And then there are line notes at the back of the book. Um, so mm. as you read, you can learn a lot more about the Homeric world, the process of translation, uh, literary notes, and whatnot. So um, if you've been on the fence in this book, treat yourself uh, is all I can say. Um Sam, did you receive any classics gifts? No, uh, I didn't get. I got like new slippers. Uh, that was <laughs> were they wing slippers? I have not. I haven't said the magic words yet. Um, I'm waiting uh, until you know the moment is right. I don't want to yeah. get a premature lift off like sure. uh, Grover does in 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 episode three. But I'm. Can we talk about the translation for a second? Yeah, sure. Have you have you started reading it? I did. My mother-in-law was like, why are you reading such an old book? And I was like, first of all, <laughs> you get, you gave it to me. Uh, and second of all, uh, cause it's very, it's very good. Um, you know, everybody is always curious about what the opening lines are like yeah. um, in the epic poems and Emily Wilson's um, translation of the Odyssey was very controversial. He translated Pelutrapon, um, you know, man of many twists and turns. She translated as complicated yeah, I didn't like everybody. it. I think I had Brady in the tizzy, including Dr. Sam. Uh, I, I was less. Listen, you have to do something new. Uh, you can't just, you know, if you want to do a very, you know, straight over the plate translation, that already exists. So you got to do some new stuff if you want to actually make a splash. Um, her opening lines, uh, do you want to guess what her opening word uh, for the Iliad is? Wrath. No, it is actually goddess is actually the opening lines of Emily Tr Wilson's translation uh, of the Iliad. Um, uh, I don't, and, uh... and it is the cataclysmic, cataclysmic wrath of Achilles uh, that the poem oh. is based on. Um, so, you know, not as bold of a choice as with the Odyssey, but I, I thought, wow, cataclysmic is an interesting choice. Typically, That's interesting because like it, that. it, uh, it doesn't right. His wrath is not cataclysmic. Um, it destroys him. You know, he 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 elects to destroy himself, but 
you know, after after reading and thinking so much about Percy Jackson, right, where the stakes are high. I mean, the stakes of the of the Iliad and the the stakes of Achilles, um, you know, tiff with Agamemnon, they seem relatively low. I think Percy Jackson is about cataclysmic, uh, you know, potentiality. I don't know about the Iliad. That's interesting, though. I I I do think we should talk about maybe those translations at some point, and because it's 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 interesting the way that and your 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 mother in law is is not alone in in asking why are you reading this book right I, when I talk to my students they're always like what what like a lot in the language class why are we translating this hasn't this already been translated before I'm like yes but. Each time we reread something, each time we translate something, um, or retranslate something, it, it it changes, and we have a different interpretation, right? Translation is is uh, interpretation. A translation is uh, analysis, right? Uh, as I as I tell my students, and it, it parallels Percy Jackson, right? Again, we're getting the same myths again and again and again, and every time we get a different version, even with even with the Percy Jackson universe, right? I want to talk a lot about Medusa, right? We've got a we've got a new Medusa. Um, That's true. And every time it's different, and every time it's a reflection of society, it's a reflection of the things that have gone before it. So it's fascinating. That's that's cool. Yeah. Well, dear listener, I hope you had as happy of a holiday um, as we have, and we'll see you in the rest of the episode. Hear the music. Welcome to the All Roads Podcast, where two classicists talk to each other because their family is tired of hearing them share their love of ancient Greece and Rome over the Christmas dinner table. My name is Sam Hahn. And I'm Dr. Sam Kindick. And welcome back. We are talking about episode three of the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series uh, that has been premiering on Disney+. Plus. Um. And Hulu. And Hulu. Well, there you go. Uh, Hulu subscribers, uh, congratulations. Um, we've enjoyed the show so far, and we now have a new episode. Um, and Dr. Sam, as you hinted at the in the cold open, we have a new new Medusa in this episode. Yeah. I I uh I have a lot I want to talk about with this episode. Me too. Um, I, I felt did a you like shift. It? I, I feel the shift in this one. Um, again, you know, dear listener, you'll you'll remember that a lot of my critique of the first two episodes is I felt like it was it was too much exposition. Uh, they were do too doing too much telling and not enough showing, and I feel like they really started to get away at a lot more in this episode. We're getting a little bit more Annabeth. Annabeth is still very reserved in this episode. And like Sam, I was fascinated with the treatment of Medusa. Um, before we recorded the show, I kind of went back and looked at the chapter in the book, and it is so different. Um, again, as I was watching, I was like, boy, this is not how it goes in the book, right? And I double-checked, and indeed, listener, if you are also reading the book while you watch the TV show, I'm sure you noticed the exact same thing we did. Yeah, there's a lot different. I'm not even, I mean, the Medusa thing is totally different, and there's... Right. There's a lot going on there, but 
but there's also um you know there's there's sort of changes throughout yeah some are are larger sort of structural changes some are are you know just sort of smaller changes but you know before we jump into that did you like it i mean do you do you 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 said it had a different tone do you do you you were a little down, I think, on the show based on yeah. your expectations. Yeah. Are you mm-hmm. are you back on board? Are you do you love it? Uh again, love it is probably too probably the wrong word to use, but I, I really enjoyed this episode more than the first two. Um, this is more, I think, what I expected of the show. So maybe it's just taking a little bit of time to kind of catch up scene. This met my expectations uh that I had going into the show. Um, and I was very excited. Um what about you? I know again, we were kind of inverse last episode. Are you on the same page as me? I love it. I think it's great. I I'm I I'm seeing the door to change, the possibility for change creaking open, mm-hmm. which really interests me. Um I know that one of the things you were really excited about with this sort of reboot was that it was going to be more faithful to the book. Right. The the two movies really sort of, especially the first movie, you know, diverges wildly from the the book. And we definitely have a, you know, we've reshifted closer to the original story. And of course, we've got, you know, Uncle Rick writing the, you know, this this TV show. Um, so it's it's definitely closer to what, you know, it this is intended to be. But there is the, there is change. Um, in a number of different yeah. ways. And yeah. I'm, I don't know. I've, I think we've talked about this a little bit before. I am titillated by the, by the possibility of revising a work after it's been initially released. Right. right. I think we, we talked about maybe game of Thrones, Yes, how you know, the TV show finished before um, George RR R. Martin has finished the books. And so he has the, the chance barring some sort of contractual, uh, snafu which which may well be the reality i mean he could change the ending no one likes the ending um and i don't think we're going to change the ending here but there is this chance to sort of rewrite to correct um and we definitely see that with with medusa so i like this a lot um i think it's still dark right it's darker than the the book is there's a little bit of sort of whimsy but not nearly as much. I mean, there's some heavy, heavy themes, uh, really, you know, persistent through this episode, and yeah. I, I expect we're going to get those through the rest of the um, of the series. Yeah. So yeah. Where I, we start. I, well, I, I think I want to piggyback on on what you just said and just say, you know, when we read the books, too, there's a lot of disappointment with series wraps up in book five. Which, dear listener, you haven't heard our discussion of book five yet, but but get excited for that um, or not in, in, if you love the fifth book. But, you know, our critique of the series as a whole um, was um, there's a buildup to maybe there's going to be a status quo change. Maybe Percy is going to push the Olympians to change more than they actually end up doing at the end of the book. And I think it is interesting in the TV show to see how there is an effort to question and undermine the maybe not authority but the goodwill of the olympians from a much earlier 
points. Um, especially in this episode, there's a lot of questions about um, how how good is Annabeth's mother Athena, right? Um, if she's supposed to be, you know, this goddess of justice, she seems extremely petty. Same thing with Poseidon, right? This kind of, you know, um, guy who comes in, makes lots of promises, and then pieces out and doesn't actually protect the people he loves. And I, I feel like the critique of the Olympians is felt much more acutely in the TV show than even in the first book, right? We really only get that in a very strong way toward the end of the first book where Luke actually, you know, goes to Percy and says, the Olympians actually aren't all that good um, at the end of the day. And I feel like this TV show is making moves much earlier to set this up, which makes me curious again, if they get to the end of book five, which seems to be their intention with this TV show, are we going to get a different ending than we got in the books? And um, there's a lot of foreshadowing um, much, much um, event in the series. For example, we see Annabeth's, blade featured prominently in this episode which plays an important role in the final book and we don't really get that set up nearly as well in the book series and so i think there is a lot of again revision happening here kind of it feels more like polishing as opposed to what like george rr R. martin will probably have to do with the game of thrones if he ever finishes that series right um there's a refinement happening in the tv show which i i find very interesting as well yeah, I mean, I think that you're right about the gods. I mean, we've we've, with the exception of of Mister D, who we we discussed in the last episode, you know, he's he's different, he's complicated, you know. There, I think we we agree there are sort of pros and cons with how he's depicted in this the show, but we don't have the Olympians, with the exception, of course. And I, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but. With the exception of Hermes, right? Yeah. With Lin Manuel Miranda at the end, uh, which yeah. was, uh-huh. um, which was a treat. I did. Did you know that was going to happen? I didn't. I, I did not. I knew that he was cast as Hermes. He was announced okay. among the early cast, and I was like, you know, uh, what a fun choice. Um, I, I think he kind of captures the sort of whimsy that you would want from a Hermes. Yeah. Um. And he's got he's got his you know his little excited little smirk. He's kind of excited to deliver the Medusa package. Yep. Uh, at the end of this episode, which is quite fun. Um, but he's but not yeah. in the book. But he's not in the book. Right. Um, the first book, right? Which mm-hmm. is and so this is a big change. I mean, we have all this, you know, in, in the conversation with Medusa, which I, we're we're definitely going to circle back to, right? I mean, there's this, there's a lot of discussion of Athena. Um, in a negative light, right? There's discussion Uh of Poseidon in a negative light. And so there is this, this idea and we, we start to see this back and forth, like, you know, how, how good is the status quo, right? How good are the gods, right? This is setting up the question. Should we, should we, you know, flip the table over, start over and have a golden age with Kronos, right? That's where we're headed. Right. But in the book, we don't see Hermes, He's this absent figure, and so it's easy to sort of villainize him, which explains, you know, it makes Luke, I think, you know, a little bit more complex because you don't understand the relationship that Luke has with his father until later in the series. And so it's easy to sort of villainize Hermes because he's not there. But now we have Hermes, and he's like, I don't know, 
after Grover, like maybe the the second most likable character. Um, I mean, we've only gotten him for seven seconds or something, but right. How I mean, can it, you it, hate? How can you hate MacArthur Fellow? How can you know MacArthur Genius? Uh, author of Hamilton, author, uh, you know, performer and, you know, writer of Into the Heights, like everybody loves Lynn. And every Disney movie in the last like five years. Yeah, that's true. Uh, You know, how can you hate Lin-Manuel Miranda? He's the most lovable, lovable guy. Um, And it is, yeah, important casting uh, because we automatically kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, So it's, 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 it signals that there's changes, right? I mean, the yeah, the fact that he's here complicates Luke. Um, Luke's already sort of complicated, but it 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 signals that the sort of the dynamics of the relationships between the gods and their children it is going to be a little bit different. You know, there's already this sort of doubt that's been cast, um, especially around Thena. Um, and we're, I think we're starting to get that also with, with Poseidon. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. What did you think of Percy? I know you had some, some yeah. reservations about his sort of, you know, slow responses, his blank expressions. Yeah, I mean, I I had that same feeling when he goes into the attic and he sees the oracle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I was, I, I don't know. Again, I I can't decide. It, like, does this does this does this fit Percy or not? Because it just it feels like yeah, he is very accepting of all of the weird things, which is probably for the best, as opposed to being like, why is this happening and why is this happening? Uh, you know, I spent you know my christmas holiday with uh a toddler my nephew and he's in that age where he just asks why constantly mm-hmm. uh, and it's a little bit exhausting trying to explain everything um to this four-year-old um and i feel like um having a percy figure who's that way might be exhausting to the audience as well so maybe it's better that he's like well sure why why wouldn't there be a mummy that spews out green smoke and my step father Gabe Ubliano is there to give me a prophecy I'm not sure like I'm into it um maybe that is a, a a easier character for people to stomach it does it does baffle me every time though um where I'm like you you don't have a reaction to the mummy coming to life he's like oh I'll come back later sorry to disturb you yeah right and and the thing that, that stood out to me was like I mean, it's already creepy up there. And when all the like green smoke starts spewing out, like I would have bolted. I mean, maybe that says more about me than it says about Percy, but he just, he, he stays there. And is it because mm-hmm. he's resolute? Is it because he's seen so many weird things? I don't know. But I mean, it, it does though sort of come off that he's just like slow to react. Yeah. You know, he, he's like, I don't know. But it's it, it's interesting. I'd forgotten that it was Gabe who delivers the prophecy, right? In the book, it's his whole like poker group, right? I I guess it, it when I read the book, it sort of washed over me. I mean, do you think there's a significance to that? Is that just like a random thing that you know is, is making the whole scene surreal, or do you think there's a deeper? Now that we've read the whole the whole series, I mean, is there more to that? 
why why is Gabe the one who gives the prophecy? Yeah, that's what you're asking. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I I wonder if there's a certain amount to it where it throws the prophecy into not doubt, but kind of complicates it. Right? It's not straightforward. Right. You're getting you're getting it filtered through an unreliable narrator. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, why on earth would he listen to anything that Gabe has to say, Um, which, you know, should put him on edge. Right. It's nothing is exactly as it seems. Um, And so maybe Gabe is the perfect kind of medium uh, to say maybe we should be careful and scrutinize this as we move forward. Um, That's that's kind of my initial impression um, of of why Gabe is the one to give the prophecy, but again, as you know, this is something that's, um, you know, o- only a kind of minor change from the book in this instance, um, since we are filtering it through that poker group. Though we do have, it's sort of a bit of an obfuscation of the actual prophecy itself, right? Yes, we see, you know, I think the beginning. I've got the book. I should have written the prophecy as it was spoken in the TV show. I think we get the whole thing, but we don't get the bit about you shall be betrayed by one who calls you a friend um, until later. You shall shall fail to save what matters most in the end. Right. That's not revealed until later, which I think parallels sort of the sort of reality of the, the, the actual final prophecy with Percy, right? We don't get the whole, you know, later in the book series, um, we start to have prophecies, you know, obfuscated, truncated. We don't get the whole set of of, of facts until right. later. So I wonder if this is sort of are we sort of foreshadowing that? Um, but or is it I, just yeah? Go ahead. I, I was gonna, you know, I was curious to see what they were going to do with the prophecy in this because you know as soon as he gets to the attic, I was like, oh, and you know that's a lot to potentially dump on an audience right here's a you know several different pieces of prophecy like are you going to be able to hold that in your mind i think by breaking it up like they am you know um rick riordan the other you know writer on the show the director you know they're able to clue the audience into what's actually important in the prophecy right there's a very pointed you know ness to the fact that um Percy and Grover, like Percy doesn't necessarily trust Grover. Um, you know, Grover has told him this thing about his mom that's made Uncle, uh, not Uncle D, uh, Mr. D upset. Um, you know, and then he goes while he's, you know, shoveling Pegasus poop um, to say, oh, I trust you. I want you to be on my team. And then only later says, I know one of you is going to betray me. Um you know, and that is, and that is kind of foreshadowed just by um, the second half of that prophecy, kind of as a flashback um, being presented to the audience. So I, I was, I thought that was a very interesting way of actually making sure that we understand what the prophecy is. And the friendship aspect is obviously what is being highlighted, which of course makes sense because the friendship between Grover, Percy and Annabeth is like at the heart of the show. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think it's there's this huge emphasis. Again, I, I had the same thing in my notes from the first two episodes. I just have the word betrayal written with right. lots of underlines. Um, and that's obviously huge. I mean, again, we know that with right. Luke, that's going to be a key 
theme, right? We get it in the mm-hmm. prophecy. It tells mm-hmm. us. And so the question is, who's going to betray um, whom? But does does Percy trust Grover? I was a little bit confused about that, right? I mean, obviously, Grover seems to betray Percy in the first episode at Yancey Academy, right? He says that Percy right. pushes um, Nancy Boba Fett into the fountain. But with that whole selection, you know, Percy picks Annabeth, and then right when when Grover is shoveling the the, the Pegasus poop, he says, I, "You know, I chose you." And then we get that. I think that's when we get the flashback to the the prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is did did he choose Grover because he trusts him, or did he choose Grover because he suspects Grover will be the one who betrays him, and so it's like a known you know, a known entity rather than, you know, wondering who's going to betray who um, or, or who, who's going to betray him. He like knows it's going to be Grover. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, now that you're talking about it, now I feel like maybe the show is giving us very different signposts that maybe we're getting conflicting insights into Percy's, you know, inner thoughts like, yeah, does he actually trust him? Does he not? The way it's staged makes it seem like, no, he doesn't trust Grover. Yeah. Um, And as you know, Grover's already betrayed him. So maybe he's like, well, I already know that this guy is willing to, you know, leave me behind um, to, you know, I, again, I think it's complicated, too, because, you know, Grover is able to explain the betrayal later on. Um, but I don't know. That is, that is an interesting point. Maybe we're getting a bit of conflicting portrayals of Percy here. Is that yeah, what you're th- thinking? Yeah. I, I think we're, I think the first three episodes were sort of building the friendship. Um, I mean, cause there's, there, there are lots of shots, um, of Percy by himself, right? Yeah. He's like sitting in the Poseidon cabin. Of course he's by himself. Cause he's the only, um, the only Poseidon camper, um, but he's, you know, he's sitting next to the little, uh, water area with all the mm. money when he talks to Luke, which um, by the way, I love that it's in a Ziploc bag. Like that's the best little detail. Like that's exactly how like, yeah, you go to camp. you just have right. Ziploc bags. It's just like random, random stuff, of random Canadian money. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Um, yeah. So, so he's by himself until, you know, Luke comes and talks to him. Um, Medusa separates him from right. the group. Mm-hmm. And so there is this isolation, which I think matches the isolation that he feels, which I don't think we get so much in the book. I think for the most part, once Grover, Annabeth, and Percy team up, they're like all good. Yeah, you know, it's it's they're like, well, we're on a quest now. We're best friends. Um, even though Annabeth and Percy had sort of weird um, interactions at camp before they go on the quest. And so I think that right. the TV shows maybe speaking to that, but there is this, this question of betrayal, mm-hmm. right? And we have yeah. that, that added scene where Electo is talking to Annabeth on the bus, um, which I did not expect at all. Um, you know, she's like betray, you know, betray your friends mm-hmm. and, you know, you can go on this quest. And then Medusa talks to Percy and says, you know, betray your friends um, and it will, you know, it'll be all right. And at the end of the episode, then they all sort of come together and they're like, we trust each other. So I, I don't know if we're just sort of building up the friendship and then, you know, they're going to be, you know, thick as thieves going forward. Right. 
or is it just shadowing foreshadowing the the betrayal with Luke or is it all of these I mean I, I, it's 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 complicated right I, mean, I keep thinking yeah. about the word complicated um since you mentioned it with Pelutropone and, and Emily Wilson's translation of the the first line of uh Homer's Odyssey there's a lot of things I think are more complicated than in the book. Because again, the book is the first book in the series. It's the first young adult book Rick uh, Riordan has written. Um, I, it's, it's unclear how fully fleshed out this world is at the at the time, and so there's more whimsy. Um, you know, it's it's more, mm-hmm. I think, from the perspective of a sort of outsider, um, loner kid. But it's it, it's a book written for kids, and now I think I don't I don't know that this TV show is is written for for middle schoolers yeah that's true yeah though though my son uh i didn't watch the first two episodes with my son he came in when i was watching this third one and you know he's he's listened to three i think of the of the books he's watched he likes the, the first two movies um but he was able to he just came in middle of the episode and he immediately identified who everybody was. He understood exactly what was going on. He like knew the whole plot. Um, so he, he wasn't confused by any of it. Right. I mean, he was, um, right. He was even, uh, when, when Medusa uh, summons Percy into the other room, my son started shouting, it's a trick. It's a trick. Don't Shh. go, don't <laughs> go Jackson. And I was like, you're not wrong. Oh, actually, man. it wasn't a trick. I mean, it, it was, a it was a ruse maybe than the trick right but what about what about medusa yeah we got to talk about medusa um yeah i mean first off in the book she's an old woman um so there's already a major change in just how she is being presented to the audience right she is actually very young like she's a, a young woman in this tv show um and also just like how she's dressed too in the book, she's dressed all in black and in the TV show, she's dressed all in white. So there's already this kind of like kind of re- we are making her a lot more sympathetic in this television show. Right. Um, and, but she does have a veil right in both ways yes. she has, I mean, yes. it's a smaller veil. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I also have in my notes, old ladies written. I, I, it strikes me that a, a lot of the bad guys in these early book are old ladies. Yeah, that's true. Right. The, the Furies, um, Medusa's an old lady. Right. And, and so I don't know if this is again, the sort of, this is what a middle schooler, how a middle schooler perceives the world, or if this is about the sort of antiquity of a lot of these figures, or if it's about the sort of intergenerational, um, table turning but it's you're right i mean she's she's young and and she's not only sympathetic in the way she's presented but she's sympathetic in her her story right which is interesting because in the book you know they're like oh hamburgers oh let's get some hamburgers and they you know they, right. they eat this meal and they're like hanging out with this old lady who's like weird but it's not until you know, they've been there for a while that they realize who she is. Right. Whereas in the, the, the TV show, they roll up and they're like, Oh, this is Medusa. Let's go. And talk she, to her. 
and she introduces herself in the tv show too like um again very interesting um and again there ends up being a darker side i I wondered how much they were going to change it in the tv show because they show up all of the statues outside are of these monsters that she's turned to stone you know she is protecting the children from the fury you know she lets them in she has all these sweets and it's like oh is this a full transformation and then of course they go into the basement and it's lit by fire and there are all these like children who have been turned to stone and it's like oh okay that's she's still that's still super bad um but there is a very interesting moment you know you know subverting expectations uh, but we also get kind of a more clearer outlining of her myth it's obviously been sanitized like in the book um again which just makes sense um because her story is extremely sad Right. We've talked about how her story um, has been used as a kind of symbol of power for victims of sexual assault. Um, And there's a little bit, I think, more leaning into that or at least by like wink and a nod um, in the TV show to this kind of rehabilitation of the figure of Medusa in more modern life. Um, And again, like we said at the top of the show, there is this um questioning of the gods right um annabeth kind of is forced to like fully buy into her mom at least in word right in this instance and athena is pretty clearly in the wrong here um and so it already sets us up to say i don't know about this athena and yeah poseidon does seem a lot more complicated here too right he you know she sees a camaraderie with Sally and yeah, your dad abandoned your mom, just like he abandoned me. He didn't protect me from the wrath of Athena. What makes you think that he's going to protect you or the ones that you love? Um, again, I think it makes her much more compelling. Um, and again, this idea of like, you are not your parents. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then of course, at the end she says, well, you've chosen to be your parents, uh, which was, uh, I liked less. I liked less the the turn that Medusa has. Um, I found it a little bit hard to understand exactly why she turns on Percy, turns on Annabeth, um, and I guess Grover, like, in that last moment. It, it feels a little bit like, you know, Percy is given an opportunity to, to betray his friends, which I don't really understand the choice that he's being given, right? I'll take them out of the picture because they might prevent you from getting your mom back from Hades, um, I, I, I didn't feel like that worked super great. I didn't understand the choice he was being given because he can't do the quest alone because we know that he has no idea how on earth to get where he's going. So if he lets Grover and Annabeth get turned to stone, it's just like, that's the end of the quest. Cause like you can go to Los Angeles and just like poke a bunch of stuff, but like, you're no, you're not going to find the entrance to the underworld by yourself, Percy. Um, Anyway, I've I've talked a lot about that, but again, I really liked I really liked how Medusa was set up, and I was a lot more disappointed, I think, maybe with like the actual conclusion of the episode. I don't yeah, know. Did I mean, you it feel was different. Yeah, it was. I I I don't disagree that it was. It kind of turned quickly and not entirely for clear reasons, but the way it was set up, I think, was so because again, it just it's it it introduces these ideas that sort of challenge the status quo, 
Right. Um, right. You know, Percy was like, Oh, you know, my mom told me about Medusa. Right. And she said that she isn't what people think, which goes back that to was, that quote, yeah. that quote from the, the, the first episode. Right. Where right. Sally says, you know, not all monsters are monsters and not all heroes are heroes. Right. And so there's this different perception. And of course, Sally is in a similar position um, to Medusa, right, as a lover of Poseidon. Um, but of course, the outcome, you know, was was different um, right. or thus far is different. But there's, yeah, I mean, we get, she started going, you know, into the story, right? This is what really happened. And this is, again, what Ovid tells us in the Metamorphoses, this sort of this version or ex expansion of the story explanation for the story that Medusa has turned into a monster um, because she's raped by Poseidon in the temple of Athena in Athena. Um, you know, a virgin goddess doesn't want this. She's not happy with this. And so she turns Medusa into, you know, the, the, the monster that she is. And as, as you mentioned, right, there's been this sort of modern rereading of the story, this sort of resuscitation of Medea, coming out of the feminist reading that um, women and, and, and female sexuality are sort of um, destroyed by men and the male gaze. But we get sort of both sides. It wasn't just sort of Medusa saying, this is what really happened. And, you know, the, the, the demigods are like, oh, okay. We didn't realize that, you know, uh, Annabeth mm. pushes back. Right. And Medusa said it, it it was a, you know, Athena gave me this gift, right? So I wouldn't be bullied anymore. And then Annabeth right. says it's not a gift, it's a curse. It's a curse, yeah. And so so we have the entire, right? And of course, we talk about this in episode four um, extensively, but we have this whole, this mythic tension, right? In this 30-second exchange, which I loved, right? Because it, it, it gets to Greek mythology, and it yeah. gets to discussions of sort of literary interpretation and criticism. Right. Um, and so, and it's like one exchange. I think there was more genuine Greek myth than there is in much of the book series. Sure. That's why sure. I loved it. Um, and there's this, you know, are the gods just, are the gods infallible, right? These are both, uh, you know, challenges that Medea, uh, Medusa, excuse me, makes. But of course, then at the end of the day, she is bad. Right. And so is is this is does this sort of settle the question, right? Is is Medea a Medusa? I keep saying Medea. Medusa a sympathetic character, um, or is she a victim? And it it sort of seems like whatever the the answer is, she's a monster, right? Whether she's been right. turned into a monster as a result of being a victim. Or whether she always was this way, um, right. it's not clear because there is that 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 shift when they go into the basement, um, and and no longer is it just scary monsters. There's like a police officer. There's a mailman. Uh, there there are children. Right. Eventually, we get Uncle Ferdinand. We get his story. Right. Um, yeah, we are not our parents until we choose to be. That's uh. It was interesting. It made me think of those insurance commercials, right? Where all the right. millennials are like turning into their parents. Right. Um, uh -huh. I identify with a lot of those, uh, you know, but uh, it's it's just interesting because it goes back to that this 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 constant theme in the series, 
right? What's the relationship between Percy and his father? What's the relationship between um, the children of the Olympians and the Olympians? So I thought it was interesting. I mean, what did you think? I mean, it, it ends quickly, right? Yes. I I didn't like the ending. There was no reflective surfaces, um, which I didn't like. Yeah, the defeat is is... I mean, they don't use an iPod touch, so that's probably an improvement um, over the movie. Um, it is it is an interesting, yeah, that they don't actually defeat Medusa in the traditional way. Uh, the use of the cap is is interesting in this moment. I think it's it. I think it's a clever solution. You know, if we're we're thinking about you know, um, uh, Doctor Sam does not think it is a clever solution. Uh, so I'm shaking. Cop head. out. Cop out. Uh, I think it's a cop, cop out. out. Well, you think it's I'll a cop out? I'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if it has to do with maybe just like audiences want something fresh. Like we've already had the kind of playing with myth in the book and in the bad movie, and so bringing you something new in the TV show. Uh, it was surprising to me. I I understood it. I'll, I'll say that much. I think I think it to me, if it with kind of the disappointing wrap up to the story of Medusa, kind of overall, like uh, that was the not the thing though I hated most about kind of that wrap up though. I I I really didn't like it. Um, it reminded me. I know we talked about this in the episode on the Sea of Monsters movie, which yeah. um, is going to drop in a, a I think two weeks. Um, as we sort of piece out um, the 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 reading of the books, but just like in that movie, right? Tyson is a cyclops, um, and seemingly for I don't know to save the CGI budget or whatever, you know, he just puts on sunglasses it, a bunch. He puts on sunglasses, or the mist is around him, uh, and so he just looks like a normal dude who doesn't actually look anything like what Tyson should have looked like, but. For me, this felt like a cop out, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's no reflective surface, so that's the whole. That's like the whole shtick in the the myth. So I didn't like getting rid of that. Um, you know, iPod Touch, maybe that's the weapon of uh, or the defense mechanism of people today, just like the shield uh, was the defense mechanism of of Greek heroes. I don't know. I don't know what they should have used, but just sort of closing your eyes and sort of like squinting and looking away, that doesn't do it. Um, and Percy even seems to sort of like look when he's squinting, but dropping the the invisibility hat on her head and then sort of blindly swinging, they just don't show the head, right? Mm -hmm. it, 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 it seems like an excuse to not show the head and whether they're trying to not show the violence of decapitation because they've already sort of made her a sympathetic character or whether it's just, you know, I, we don't want to show the face. Which is, is again very much at odds with what you get in the 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 scene with Uma Thurman in the first movie. It's right? true. Where, you know, he holds up the head and all the you know the snakes shoot up and you sort of see what it looks like to look at Medusa. We don't get that. Yeah. And I don't know, it felt cheap to me. You know, and then there was that yeah. weird scene where he's like walking through the house, you know, just pretending to be holding something and he goes yeah. to the screen uh -huh. door. And he's like, all right, Annabeth, like my hands are full. Like, can you open the door for me? Um, I don't know. It just seemed, it seemed cheap. I felt, yeah. I felt I see cheated that. a little bit. 
it, it reminds me of um right the 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 play the Baki by by Euripides um where one of the characters Pentheus gets sort of um he gets literally torn apart by his his family um who have been sort of under this this spell of by the god Dionysus and uh the head of Pentheus gets you know put on a stick and sort of paraded. Um, and we get this graphic scene delivered by the messenger because you can't um, show this much complicated violence and stuff on the, the, with the conventions of the ancient Athenian stage. But often when, when they stage this play, they'll just have like a paper mache head or something uh, hmm. to represent the head of Pentheus. And it just feels weak, right? It doesn't, you know, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look like a head you know the, the good the good uh performances i think use the mask right because all the actors had masks on so you you take that the mask of pentheus that's at least the head that you've seen the audience has seen yeah um but i think it you know how do you represent the decapitated head of a terrible monster who turns things to stone with you know her gaze it, it's hard but you know, if if ever there was a time in human history where we could represent that, uh, it's 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 here and now with the special mm. effects that we have. Yeah. So so Percy just sort of pretending to hold a head in his hands as he like walks through the house, that felt a little uh, a little disappointing to me. Now, hearing you talk about that, you've con- you've convinced me. Um... I hadn't thought about it that way, but it was funny watching him hold it. I assume he was holding, you know, in actual life, some sort of green egg that they just edited out in post. But I like to. I think don't think they... so. I think I think he he was just holding nothing, just like really. Well, I don't know. It 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 because it, it looked it to me. It didn't even look like he was holding something. Um, oh, maybe. I don't know. That's what infuriated me. I don't know. Listen, I was watching those hands, make, seeing if they would just like move through what it would is supposed to be a solid object, and that didn't happen. So, uh, if if he's holding nothing, props to him, uh, because I don't think I could actually keep my hands that still. Uh, but regardless, I do get it, and I think the comparison to the, which again is not good, uh, but the Medusa. There's so much Medusa in that movie. And in comparison, you see so little Medusa in the TV show, which I, I did notice and thought was interesting. Like, um, yeah, you don't, you know, one of my favorite things is, you know, they blew the CGI budget in the first movie on the snakes in Medusa's hair. Like you see so much of them um, again, probably too much, but it is kind of cool. And in this one, you really only get one close up where you see the snakes, yeah. Uh, up close and i was kind of like really this is all we get um i was a little bit sad about that and hearing you talk it does feel like uh we got we got a little bit we we had we, had, we didn't get what we deserved as an audience um so it's i mean it's interesting because the whole yeah the whole the whole scene is different you because know, they go in they they know who they're dealing with they right. have a long conversation about you know, with with Medusa, you know, about whether she's a monster, whether she's a victim. Right. Um, there's just a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot more conversations, right? I mean, again, Annabeth's conversation with right. Electo on the bus. Does this open the door for, you know, 
maybe not all of these monsters are monsters. I mean, they all turn out to be monsters and they all get killed. But does it, is there enough to sort of persuade? I mean, is this going to come back in a, a future episode? You know, we're, is there going to be a moment where Percy has this realization that maybe not all monsters are monsters? It's not how it plays out in the book. But yeah. is this setting us up for, for something sort of structurally different uh, down the road? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think that's that is the right question to be asking here. You know, hearing you talk, it makes me wonder, you know, going back to that first episode with Percy's mom, right? Not all not everybody who looks like a hero is a hero. Nobody who looks like a monster is a monster, you know. I think I'm I'm butchering that a little bit, but but so far that really hasn't turned out to be true, right? That was the right. suggestion with Medusa, but it's like actually no, she looked like a monster and she was actually a monster for real. Um so there is a little bit of like, when are we going to actually see that turn out to be tr- true? Um, I don't know. And again, is this a bait and switch? Is this a promise that's not going to be kept in in the in the new TV series? I don't know. You'd think it must be because they set it up so prominently at the start. Uh, but so far, we've we've had some promises that have been broken. Um, we know we'll get tight. So, you know, it's not that all monsters are actually not monsters. It's some monsters aren't actually monsters is kind of the, the pitch. So is it just setting us up for Tyson? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think I've got, I mean, do you have, do you have more to say about Medusa or have we, I, I think, I think we've, I think we've, we've, touched on all the important bits uh, related to Medusa. So I think then there's only one final sort of major question that we haven't touched on at all. And that's, I mean, what do you think of the consensus song? I mean, you know, someone on the internet's already put this thing to music. Uh, you know, it's going viral. Um, oh, golly, there's a bump. Been the something like that, right? I mean, I don't understand yeah. the clapping. The clapping wasn't. That's like the most. You know, I was I, I worked at a summer camp for three summers in college, and you know that's the sort of thing that you do with campers. Campers learn all sorts of different songs that they sing around the campfire. They go home and they annoy their parents with. Um, to me, I'm like, this is you know, uh, Rick Riordan and uh, you know his fellow you know co-author of this show. Uh, are familiar with what happens at summer camp. You know, the, the bad t-shirts, the weird songs. Uh, uh, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, there you go. There was, there was, good, there was good a, memories for me. <laughs> that's good. I never went to a camp like that. So it was all, it's all novel to me. But uh, the one, the one weird thing, I, don't, I mean, we don't have to linger on this, but I just, you know, they, they have that whole vote, right? Yes. And, and there is no, there is no vote. Um, Annabeth, Annabeth is running the show. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, again, we've talked about the, the, the voting of, of Jason and the Argonauts with, with Hercules um, right. or Heracles. And so, you know, obviously my mind went there. Um, Annabeth is the one running the show, even though it's Percy's quest. But then Percy says to Grover, right? He says their voting system's broken. I, I didn't know if, if that was in some way, some sort of comment on, the 2020 u.s election i just it's, it's hard to not no 
There's no think way about. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, it's just it's. It, I don't know. It was just it was just, no it's a weird. Maybe we're just in a point where I can't see any discussion of voting and voting systems, um, and not, you know, g- have my mind go to the news, which you know I think we 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 read the classics and we watch Percy Jackson to get away from from that stuff. So I'm 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 glad you don't see anything there. I it just it just struck me as weird. No, um, I don't see that. I, I didn't. I, when he said that, I was kind of confused exactly who he meant by there. Yeah, like, who's he I, actually I repl- referring to? I replayed it a couple of times because at first I thought I said the voting system's broken, but he definitely says their voting system is broken. Um, so the gods, heroes, yeah, maybe. Which you know is not, you know, if it is a reference to you know the gods, I mean that is kind of the way it works, right? It's like okay, we're going to kind of have a vote, but Zeus is the most powerful, and he actually gets to decide. So if he really hates the way the vote goes, he'll just change it, right? We yeah. t- we talked about this with, um, uh, the Oresteia, the 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 famous play in which Orestes in the final play, you know, is on trial for the murder of his mother Clytemnestra, and you know the first jury is created to oversee the trial, and Athena kind of invalidates it in the end, anyways, right? It's like okay, it's nice that we had this vote, but like i'm really you know i'm the goddess of justice so i probably should be the one who decides how this turns out in the end right so there's a little bit of like that where it's like you know and we could talk all about you know greek democracy who actually you know gets got to got a vote in athens right there's a lot to critique around the ancient depictions of voting the actual voting practices of you know uh you know the the democratic uh of Athens, you know, things like that. So maybe that's it's just a general reference. Is like, yeah, it wasn't all just hunky dory. Everybody gets a say. Um, that's not really exactly how it worked. It is nice. I mean, now that you mentioned, I wasn't thinking about um, the Furies or the Eumenides, the final play in the Oresteia, but it, the, the fact that it's Athena who yeah. sort of undermines the democratic system. And makes the decision at the end of that play. I mean, it, it parallels Annabeth uh, making the decisions in um, in the show. I mean, it's for different reasons. She's clearly the experienced, um, strategic one. Percy is not. Yeah. Percy has no clue what's going on. Um, but it, it is nice, you know, it, whether intentional or, as I suspect, unintentional. It's always nice to sort of find these echoes um, in this this yeah. series well any uh any final thoughts before we we sign off here i don't think so i'll just say thank you all for listening um we really appreciate you spending an hour with us uh, we spent more time talking about the tv show than the tv show actually lasted and we're glad that you had the patience to spend it with us um You've made it to the end of the episode, which must mean that you enjoyed your time here. So why not hop on over to Apple Podcasts and drop us a five-star review? That just helps people find the show, lets us know we're doing a good job, gives us that important morale booster uh, to keep churning out this good Percy Jackson content. Um, If you have any uh, feedback for the show, any questions that you'd like us to answer, any future topics that you'd love for us to discuss, why don't you send us an email to allroadspod at gmail.com. We, we love getting mail from listeners. And if you have been on the fence, be on the fence no longer and send us a message. 
Uh, thank you all for listening. Yeah, and if all roads lead to Rome, why not take a detour with us? We'll see you in the new year, guys. Bye. Bye.